Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 136 of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Alex and Lindsay Remley joining us today. And Alex and Lindsay are the co-founders of Edgework Creative. And you guys will learn a little more about Edgework Creative and everything they've got going on. But they are a custom furniture shop based right here in the heart of Columbus. As always, hope you guys enjoy this episode, and we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that, I want to take a quick moment, as usual, to thank all the incredible sponsors and supporters here at Conquering Columbus. So I'm going to kick it over to Josh to tell you a little more about our first sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state, and you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our next sponsor is Share. For the rides that you take the most, ride with Share. Share is a new transportation company now driving Columbus. Schedule your ride and Share picks you up at your door with professional drivers and a growing fleet of connected vehicles. Share is now hiring with entry-level management positions available. You can learn more about careers with Share at drivewithshare.com. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. And today on the show, we've got Lindsay and Alex Remley joining us. And they're the owners of Edgework Creative, a millwork, metalwork, and design shop located here in the heart of Columbus. And they got their start in 2012 creating furniture from reclaimed lumber and have since expanded their materials and capabilities to millwork and metalwork involving virgin lumber, live edge slabs, reclaimed lumber, and metal. And they also happen to be graduates of The Ohio State University. We're always excited to have some Buckeyes here on the show, and we're really excited to have them here to talk with us today. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Alex and Lindsay. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, and appreciate both of you coming down here to join us this evening. And uh, how's your day going so far? Well, we started our day with a great 
coffee meeting yeah. with another local entrepreneur that a friend of ours was like, you guys should connect. And that's one of the things I love about Columbus, especially in the entrepreneurial circle and small business circle. Um, it's just so interesting how many friends you have in common and connections that can be made. And we went to coffee and before we knew it, it had been like two hours and we were sharing information and um, promising to make introductions to other business owners and things like that. So that was a good way to start Good way the to day. start today, absolutely. Yeah. Is the day-to-day at this point primarily working in the business or on the business for you guys? <laughs> it's funny you should ask. So for me, it's more in the business, and for Lindsay, it's more on the business. Yeah, but one of our goals probably for 2019, I shouldn't say probably, one of our goals for 2019 that we're going to execute is getting ourselves a little more elevated in the business and working on the business as opposed to in the business. I think we both really enjoy the things that we work on within the business and will always have a hand in that and want and continue to do that but just trying to have like a higher level look at our business and planning and things like that it's hard as a you know as a business owner that started from nothing and you did everything it's hard to let go and take a step back and trust people to to do it but we've we've got a pretty solid team that we we feel good about the right people in the right places starting to remove ourselves from some of the day-to-day stuff and alex you have the toughest time delegating I do. Between the two of you? I, I do. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> it kind of got yep. the vibe a little Definitely. bit. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so as we talk about, like, the evolution and creation of, of where you are today, we start back at the beginning and talk about maybe childhood upbringings, what brought you guys to Columbus in the first place. Um, so wherever, you know, the most monumental in each of your story do you think sticks out and helped get you to where you are today? Yeah, so I grew up in Columbus, lived here all my life. I've never lived more than 15 minutes from where I grew up with the exception of about Six months we lived down the south side after we first met. Went, yeah, went to Ohio State, just kind of average college experience, didn't really know what I wanted to do, just kind of picked a random major. I'm like, uh, I can, I, my major was in human ecology, and I think I picked that because, you know, I went and saw an advisor, and they showed me a list of things you can do, and one of them was property management. I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. Like, so we'll do this, you know. Got the major, graduated got out of school and figured I needed to do something. And I got a um, job working for a wine distributor, wholesale wine distributor in town that my roommate at the time worked for, working in the warehouse. And uh, just, again, needed a job. And you know, that, that opportunity came. And I did that for about a year and a half. And a sales position came open. And um, I applied for it and got it and, and really excelled in that sales position, selling wine to um, retailers mostly. Um, restaurants and uh, grocery stores and I think that that you know that 10 or 12 year experience in sales really helped help me figure out how to interact with customers and and sell something that I was passionate about and it was wine at the time and now it's our products yeah I think you're so great at sales and that experience was so good because especially when you have a small business people want to do business with people and people they like and trust and so I think that's why you've just always been natural because you've always had great relationships and mm-hmm. people gravitated towards you and like you. So I was actually born in Columbus and my family was lived in Columbus almost their entire lives and uh, we moved around a bit when I was young, ended up landing in a suburb of Detroit for like most of my grade school years, first grade through 12th grade and uh, came to Columbus to go to Ohio State, 
and have been here ever since because I love Columbus. Um, my dad owned his own business growing up, so I always had like a taste of, I can remember like playing putt-putt and eating popcorn uh, in his office. And, you know, the first car I ever got was like an old car from the fleet of cars at the company. And uh, so I was like, had a behind the scenes look at what it was like to run a business and things like that. Um, and then I was a competitive athlete, so I traveled the country playing in tournaments and just a competitive person, I guess you can say. He's smirking and laughing. like Which I think you have to be to be a business owner. It's such a grind, and I mean, there's lots of other people doing things out there that whether it's your same industry or not, I mean, it's still competition to, to grab, you know, people's attention and yeah. make them want to focus on you. Yeah. And then when you got down to Ohio State, how did your career progress from there? So after Ohio State, I worked briefly for Target headquarters back when like Target was really growing and expanding. Um, that was in 2005. Um, it was not, I wasn't cut out for like corporate job environment. Um, and so I left that job and worked for Nordstrom for about seven or eight years and like sort of progressed and was a manager and did a variety of roles and responsibilities. I was a makeup artist at Nordstrom and so during my time at Nordstrom I sort of started my own little side hustle of freelance makeup artistry and I still do that actually to this day. It's like little known fact about me is I also have another business um, and so I started that little side hustle while I was working at Nordstrom doing freelance makeup artistry for brides and clients of mine that were regulars and eventually grew it where I was able to leave. And we were starting our family then, so I was able to like stay at home with our kids full time, but also still have a work and work and a business that I had built. And um, that was like the first taste of entrepreneurship, I guess. And at what point through both your paths did you end up meeting each other? We met randomly one night at a bar. After uh, college. After college, yeah. yes. We didn't know uh, each other. A couple other. years after college. Yeah, two years, maybe? Because we met in 06, end of 06, yeah. so yeah, a year and a half or so after college. Um, just, yeah, I mean, it was just completely chance random encounter um, that really came really close to never even <laughs> happening. We were, she had been sick for, what, two or three weeks? Yeah. Got drug out by her friends. I uh, had been out to dinner with a buddy. And um, we had talked about, like, ah, you want to go get a drink somewhere? And, uh, okay. And we went to Bodega. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> How many, like uh, what, 12 years later? Yeah. A little over 12 years. It was 12 years in October. Right. We've been together. Yeah. yeah. Three kids, a business. We still love each other. Yeah. Right. <laughs> there and yeah. And work uh, together uh, on a daily basis. That's true. Yeah. So, Alec, talk a little bit about your pet then post-college. What? I know you also started your own business, right, along the way? Well, just so edge work, I mean, so I so I went to college. Like I said, I got a job at the wine distributor and warehouse, transitioned into sales, and did that for 10 years or so. During that time is when the idea for what was then rework furnishings and now edge work um, kind of came about. We were 
gifted a pile of barnwood that moved from two, three driveways, I think, two, two or three driveways with us that, you know, Lindsay knew she wanted something done with this pile of barnwood and but didn't know what. And we were, we knew we were going to be moving soon and project up on the back burner eventually landed at our current home and she decided she wanted me to build a table. I'd never built a table before, but I was like, oh, I can figure it out. Yeah, it seems reasonable. So I figured it out and built this table, which is still our dining room table. Mm-hmm. I was about to ask that. So. Yeah, <laughs> still we our still dining have room that table. piece. I, uh, I'm not a big fan of it, but you know, it's like the <laughs> And first it's still table. like one of my favorite pieces. Yeah, I mean, it's but, just, yeah. You, We've come a long way. You become hypercritical of your own work, especially as you progress and mm-hmm. get better and that kind of thing. But yeah. Some and, like, I feel like we... I sometimes joke that we accidentally started a business because we kind of did. Mm-hmm. Like, I asked him to build that table because he is handy, always... He just has... I describe it as, like, an engineer's mind, right? He wants to, like, understand how something works, how it's put together, how it was made, how it functions... Mm-hmm. And that is what has always made him, he's, we didn't talk about it, but he was very handy and remodeled and uh, our, first home, our yeah. first home together. And so I knew that if I asked him to do it, he would say yes and he would figure out how to do it because that's sort of what he's always done. And so, yeah, so anyways, built this table and it, some friends and family saw it and they're like, you guys you know, should do this. And it was like early on in the Barnwood craze. fad and craze. And, <laughs> okay I, I guess and I I have never really been a big risk taker when it comes to like business and financial stuff and Lindsay kind of pushed me a little bit and ended up starting an Instagram page and kind of put it out there in the world and started getting some some traction and getting some people interested and we got a little bit of press here and there and people started ordering stuff <laughs> you know we were working out of our garage unheated garage you know while working, I was still working full time for the wine distributor, and kind of got to a point where we're like, "All right, if we're gonna do this, we we need to we need to get into a real shop, you know." And so, so some friends of ours approached us about possibly splitting a shop space with them. And at the time, I was still very conservative about the whole business thing in general, and taking the chance on you know maybe like actually doing this as a living, or even more than just part time. So I humored Lindsay to go look at this space with her and our friends and like It was eye opening. Yeah, it was very eye opening and I'm like, this could be really awesome and there you know, could really give some opportunity to what we want to do and I'm like, All right, you know, let's let's do it. And then we're like, How do we pay for this? Because, you know, at the time it was just like a side hustle, extra, you know, a few hundred bucks, thousand dollars every now and then for building a piece, like hadn't really had any plans of of making it a business and weren't really like saving the money at all so we're like all right we need to come up with money and we got the idea to do a um, kickstarter and ultimately that shop space didn't happen and it it fell apart pretty quickly before we had like really spent much effort or energy like thinking about the kickstarter but it kind of got the bug going you know and like planted the seed planted the seed and i don't know how like how long in between that was like july i just remember because i was really pregnant and uh our son was born in august so we had looked at that space in july and that was sort of when it was like man can you imagine what we could do if we had 
heat and you know <laughs> More bigger than space square feet yeah and uh our son was born in august and then in november we started building and putting together our kickstarter campaign and i don't know what you guys know about crowdfunding or kickstarters but you don't just like throw together a campaign there's like a lot of planning and things yeah. like that so we were pretty Which ultimately like it was a good thing that like this initial space like fell apart because we were definitely would have rushed the kickstarter and not done yeah. it and executed it well and probably wouldn't have funded like we ended up ultimately doing yeah so we started planning um and filmed a video for our kickstarter in november and then in february was when we uh <coughs> did the Kickstarter. Made it live or whatever. So that was the month of February is when we... February of which year? That was February of 2015. Okay. okay. And then talk more in detail if you guys don't mind or if you're interested in what the actually went into the Kickstarter because I know uh, that there's a lot of people today that it seems like it's more a popular idea and it seems easy on the surface and they yeah. dive into it. So what surprised you throughout that path and kind well, of... Well, so I it? started researching it and like reading articles about successful things, what you should do to be successful and watching lots of videos and following campaigns of people that were successful. Um, I think that you have to think about, you know, so with Kickstarter specifically, you set out a reward, right? So somebody gives you $25 and they get something in return. So thinking about what those rewards are at the different levels and tiers and, you know, so if you do a $100 donation and you want to raise $20,000, how many donations, how many people do you need to get to fund you, and at what tiers do you have, what are the values, and then what does it cost you to make that product and get that product to that person, and so are you losing money on it, because um, there was a lot of research that suggested, you know, somebody who was doing a Kickstarter for a, a good um, that they had to make and produce after the Kickstarter was over, they spent all their money just producing and fulfilling the rewards and then didn't actually have any money left over or were losing money. Mm -hmm. So we were really calculated about what are the different price points, what are the rewards, how are we gonna execute that? And we thought pretty carefully about how much money we wanted to raise and what we really needed to be able to move into a space, like what sort of cash would actually make a difference and mm -hmm. be helpful. And with Kickstarter, if you raise 99% of your goal, you get $0. So in order to get any dollars, you have to fully fund. So we really wanted about $20,000. And so we set our goal at 15 because we felt like, we felt pretty confident that we could raise $15,000. Yeah, we knew enough people and enough friends and family that were like already behind us. Like, yeah. We can do this. We can do this. And so we set our goal at 15. We ended up raising 22, which was great. But if we'd set our goal at 25 and raised 22, we would have gotten no dollars. So does Kickstarter just get that money? Like, where's no. That, so it's like no. a, it, it shows just, as like a pending <clears throat> transaction and then it just never. Yeah. The people actually, who pledge just, the money back. Yeah. Yeah, they just yeah, I don't think they actually charge people huh. until, until the campaign fulfilled. closes. And, and like there was a lot of research that suggested, you know, in Kickstarter you can do a 30-day campaign or a 60-day campaign. And 30, they were like, if you don't fund in 30 days, you're not going to fund in 60 days. So like be prepared, be ready to go. And so we did a lot of PR and prep on the back end too. So we like told people we were doing a Kickstarter. We told people when it was launching. We asked for their support ahead of time and then when it went live we got 
I, I would have to do the math, but probably 30% of our donations in like the first 48 hours. And that was something that was really, that Kickstarter talked a lot about is like, you want to be successful in that first week because people want to be a part of something successful. So if they see you raise $10,000 of your $15,000 goal in the first week, they're like, oh, it grabs their attention a little bit more. It also got us like placement on the main page of Kickstarter's website, mm -hmm. which then, you know, gets a few residual um, uh, pledges, I think is yeah, what just they like were random, called it. Yeah, yeah. More, more randoms, you know. And then we like, we threw a party on like a shoestring budget and we got a news channel to come and like do a story. So we did a lot of like planning to make it successful. We had a bit, yeah. I mean, we had to film a video, which we that filmed cost a video, money. like a professional video, because that was one of the things they said, like tell the story, make it impactful. You want people to connect with you and understand like who they're supporting and what it will do. And so that that's my those are my Kickstarter hot tips. <laughs> <laughs> so. After the Kickstarter launches, you get the funding, you get the space. What then? When do you guys start making furniture? When, when do you start taking orders? So we um, were actively still looking for a shop space and looking at different locations and things like that. And during our Kickstarter, once we sort of realized we were going to fund, um, found a place. And once yeah, we I got mean, the funding, because... That Kickstarter was in February, and we moved into that place March 15th. Yeah, so I think we started looking at places, pri obviously, prior to yeah. funding. And, I mean, once we once we knew we were going to go for it, yeah. I don't know that we actually, like, signed anything until we had knew we had the money. Right, well, because we had to, like, be able to show that we had the money in our account that was good. Certainly We helped, could pay yeah. rent and things like that. I mean, the money went in the account, we got the lease, and then we promptly spent all of the money on yeah. tooling and equipment and upgrades and electrical and all this stuff. So by the time we actually opened, we were back to where we had started, where we're like, we don't have seed money or <laughs> savings account that we're using to fund this. So it was literally just projects that people were paying and whatever we were making on that to like invest back into the business and continue to build it. But what that, what that space allowed us was we hired our first employee and I can remember so vividly like what everyone was wearing and what the air smelled like that day and where I was standing watching him in the shop looking at him and thinking I really hope we can afford to pay him <laughs> like I hope we don't miss payroll and but that allowed us like we got tooling we got an employee we were able to take on more projects because in a 400 square foot garage you get two projects in there and then you don't have space to work on anything else so we were able to take on more projects shorten our lead times and then that helped sort of spin the business and build the business yeah i continued to work yeah uh, we were both still working yeah well you were yeah i mean you were still doing my makeup business you're doing your makeup and taking, taking care, care of the kids of and stuff three children and um easy stuff yeah you know no big deal just keeping humans alive <laughs> <laughs> and i continued to work for the wine distributor um for the first two more years two more years i think um and you know i would go i would you know depending on the day i would maybe go to like an account or something first thing in the morning and then i would go meet the couple people at the shop let them in and kind of give them the rundown of what needed to happen and go sell wine for some hours and come back and work you know, oh, we had many a nights of like Rotolo's pizza at the shop with the kids. He had to like get things done, and we were setting things up, and kids running around. Yeah. I was really fortunate. The my former employer, they were extremely flexible and accommodating 
yeah. to uh, to what I was trying to do, and it was I never made it a secret that you know that we were starting this business, and right, and they really kind of let me pare down on my own terms and really pick my own accounts from my account base that eventually Lucky. allowed me to go part time. Yeah. The last year or so, and like centralize everything like <laughs> right by our shop. So I'm like, yeah, you know, ten minutes all of his accounts were right around um, the shop. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was. And it also gave us the confidence with like the cash flow of the business to still have like a steady income and insurance and all those things, and start planning and preparing and seeing what the business was capable of and where we could take it. And so then when he did make the leap. Because that was two years ago, October. Yeah. yeah. So when he did make the leap, we we felt comfortable that like financially we could afford our life and pay our employees and continue to grow and build the business. So, so that <clears throat> gap between when you're raising the funds and you actually open the shop and you hire that first employee, were you guys building up orders throughout that time so then when everything went, mm-hmm. they could just keep rolling? Yep. Yeah. We I just kept like... accepting orders as if we were going to keep working in the garage or whatever mm-hmm. and... Um, yeah, at some point. I, I don't remember that move as well as I remember the last move. I remember but... the last table that we delivered out of the garage. Because oh. I remember Joey helped me deliver it. Whose was it? The Delmores. Okay. And we still, in our garage, we still have this, like, <laughs> on a cabinet. There were some, like, built-in cabinets that were in there. They just have, like, plywood doors. And I chalkboard painted one of them. That was, like, my order list and it's still and it's up still, it's still up with the with the names, names the that pending, were on it pending orders that due were on, on 2-4 and <clears throat> lines through the chalk and stuff like that so were you transparent with them in that process that hey you know we're transitioning the lead time on this project might be a little bit longer than but we want to take your order so we yeah. can get this launched yeah. and they were okay with that yeah. Yeah. and I mean I think people people like were open to supporting us and, and like actively talked about the Kickstarter with customers and that kind of thing. Yeah. I think when you're honest and upfront with people, you know, they're a lot more understanding than oh, absolutely. people assume they'll be. Yeah. yeah. And I think when people are supporting like a startup business and a small business, I mean, people knew we were working out of our garage. We didn't hide that or try and like pretend like we were in some flossy studio and um, manufacturing facility. So people knew what they were getting into and they wanted to be a part of that, right? Like they're getting something custom built for their home that they're excited about. And so they're willing to wait another week or two or be a little more flexible. So as you progressed and you started to build out the more formalized business with a legitimate shop and employees, how did you begin to position yourself as a business? Did you guys think like we want to focus on only these certain products or we're just going to continue to take any orders that come our way and we'll do the best for a long time? Yeah. It was still just like, we'll do anything you know like and, and that's really what because we were like a custom shop we're like you know you can dream it we can build it you know or we'll try and, and also fail. when we first started we were going to like markets like the north market uh farmer's market and little pop-up marketplaces around town and we were selling like coasters and picture frames but then telling people like we also do custom furniture we didn't lug it here today because that's annoying and heavy but here's a card and so it sort of planted the seeds and sometimes those people six eight months later would contact us because they knew they were doing a kitchen remodel and they were going to want a dining table or whatever so we started making coasters and picture frames and succulent containers and also doing furniture and then the business has just sort of like slowly evolved over time as we narrow in on what we want to do and what we're best at yeah and i think last year 
was really the first year that we feel like we had more control of what we were doing and felt confident in like turning things away we yeah. stopped doing the small goods last year um, and just had, had developed some pretty good relationships with some other industry folks architects designers and that kind of thing that were funneling us a good amount of business and, and just feeling better about where we're at and like and that was also part of what the rebrand was too was, was yeah. having more control of, of the business and what what we actually do you know when we were re- rework furnishings <clears throat> a lot of people had the misconception that we refurbished things fixed things transformed old furniture and, and we never you know we never did any of that and, and never wanted to and um, we got lots of inquiries on it you know maybe it it should have been part of our business, but um. <laughs> it's funny how a name can do yeah, that too. Yeah, right? how important yeah. a name is. Well, yeah. and so like you know, like I said, we joke. I would joke that we started on accident, right? Well, when we picked the name, we it was like for an Instagram handle. Like it wasn't to build some big business that we had been dreaming of and had a great grand business plan for. We just yeah, and I mean we needed were... a name that wasn't taken on Instagram, and so then as and it, it worked with, like, we were working only with reclaimed wood at the time. Now we don't work. We do reclaimed work. It's not the only thing we do. And so we wanted to position ourselves for the long haul now that it is our livelihood and our business and our passion that um, the name doesn't mislead people or guide them in a direction that is wasted energy or time for them or us. Speaking of the materials we work with, what the heck is virgin lumber? I have no idea. Just new lumber. Okay. New yeah, lumber. new yeah. lumber. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I was just curious. It's a fancy name. And then there's other things in here. So we were talking about, I don't reclaim, and I know metal, uh, live edge slabs, though. Oh. Yeah. What? So live edge slabs, yeah. So um, a live edge slab is just like somebody cuts down a tree, and you got the big trunk, mm-hmm. and it gets milled into, like, individual slabs. So oh, here's, your, okay. here's your tree, and you're cutting whole slabs like across the length and it's where you get that sort of organic and natural edge Mm -hmm. and then you yeah you still have you you have the contours of the edge of the tree whatever the tree shape are you still barked are you we take we do bark (laughs) bark. because ultimately like we've we've left bark on it just ultimately it ends up coming up and somebody like calls you like my table's falling apart you know right. and just, you're like no just most the of the time it, yeah. most yeah. of the time it falls off like it doesn't, yeah, yeah. Like, not a good way to preserve the bark yeah. in that situation yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of times it falls off naturally i mean there there's i think different like schools of thought on like how it helps with the drying process if it's dried with the bark on or dried with the bark off and but yeah, ultimately it's gonna end up probably coming off. So things and coming out of our shop will not be bark. Yeah, and it's also like you don't want to like be sitting on the edge of a table and have like bark like rubbing up against you, snagging yeah, a hole in your shirt. Real organic though. Yes, yeah, that's true. It is. <laughs> so what is the process of making a piece when somebody comes to you with an inquiry to delivery? Like, what does that look like for you guys? So I mean, it can go a couple different ways. Um, sometimes people come to us with like a picture of something we've built, something else they found, and say, can you build this for us? Generally, the answer is yes. Sometimes people would just say, hey, I really like what you do. I want to, you know, I need a dining room table. I need a credenza. I need a bed. Here's the measurements. And then we'll work with them on a design. Or, you know, like, like in the working with commercial folks, usually it's architects 
slash designers that are coming to us with their plans and we'll maybe help you know tweak or you know give some advice from like a building standpoint um to where things maybe could be built better or different or cheaper or whatever and there's usually a lot of you know back and forth about you know about the designs and you know we do shop drawings and we use sketchup for all our renderings to like show one to show the customer like what they're going to be getting and make sure they're good with it and then also send it out to the shop for our folks to build it so you mentioned commercial in there like what do the commercial projects look like commercial projects yeah uh, most of our commercial projects so restaurants you know lots of tables um table bases tabletops we've done several kind of off the wall installations i guess you could say that that some of our architect friends have dreamed up and <laughs> we've executed okay we can yeah. we can figure that out um fixturing yeah, for other, retail. yeah shelving fixtures for retail we we're talking about sos we've done a bunch of stuff with them all their like equipment storage and their desks, Front desks and, and yeah. that kind of retail all their retail fixtures um and with the commercial clients we work we work on those projects in a variety of ways like sometimes it's through like he mentioned the designers and architects Sometimes it's through the contractors that are like looking for us to bid on things. Sometimes we're working directly for the business owners because we know them or we've worked with them in the past and so they just want to work directly with us. Mm -hmm. And then with homeowners and like residential projects, it's sort of a mix of a homeowner who's just remodeled their kitchen. They're like, we want a new dining table and we know about you. Sometimes they have a designer and we work with the designer to either execute the plan they have or help collaborate on uh, a project and then what our lead times are usually around like four or six weeks so yeah they're pretty good right now they they've gotten out out of hand before but <laughs> we like i said you know we have a pretty pretty solid crew of folks and, and uh, we're able to turn things around pretty good i think right now how many people in total at this point we have 11 right 11 and then plus us yeah so. eight, eight in the shop and then we have a marketing manager, a sales manager, and an ops manager. And then what does like, the family life situation look like? Running a business together, being around each other all the time? Um, we both smile. And- uh, yeah, I mean, so I think we, we talk often that neither one of us would have been able to build this without the other one. I obviously don't know how to build anything. Um, and I don't have the like patience that he has to figure things out or dissect and take apart and and then the yeah the marketing side of things you know you were were our first marketing manager and, <laughs> and I mean without without what she was able to do via social media I mean we wouldn't and I think be here yeah I think in a business partnership you have to trust your partner you have to I think it's probably really helpful to like them too. Uh, it's not very much fun to work with people you don't like, right? Um, and I, I hate working with John. <laughs> <laughs> so difficult. Um, but you know, our skill sets complement each other. Um, we trust each other implicitly. Obviously, you know, I know he's always going to do the best thing for us and for our business and for our family. And. We, we do a good job of pushing each other outside of our comfort zones and um, it makes it hard to, it's very hard to turn work off. Mm-hmm. We do try and we succeed sometimes, but uh, 
we're just sort of always working or thinking or remembering something we wanted to tell the other person and uh, the kids love being involved too they our oldest he's our junior sales manager he's he got business his, cards he and he will cards. hand them out to you, if he, needs you. <clears throat> he was pretty disappointed the other day because we actually took his business card like in our front lobby like we have her and i's cards our marketing manager and our sales manager our cards like set out on this table and jackson's were out there and we took them off and put them back in the office and he found him he's like why aren't these out i'm like He's like, people won't take them if they're not out. We're like, well, you don't have a cell phone or an email address. So people are going to be confused. He's like, perfect timing for us to talk about this. (laughs) I'm going to need all those things. You can, like, you need to. You can hand these, you know, hand these out to your friends and tell their parents to call us, put my number on. And when you're at the shop, you can hand them to clients as they come in. But if someone picks it up because they're picking up all the cards, they're not going to know who you are or what you're role is but yeah they have a lot of fun they have their own set of um ppe personal protective equipment <laughs> ppe uh, i learned Safe, something new every safety day safety glasses they have their own safety glasses headphones dust masks and dust masks and their favorite thing to do is to come and play with the walkie talkies and uh sweep and mostly their sweeping is just kicking and moving mm-hmm. dust around. Yeah. It's just sounds accurate. <laughs> like a right. dust storm in the uh, shop after they've been there. Um, but yeah, they they love working and being a part of it. And they have little T-shirts that they get excited to wear. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. What do the goals look like for you guys over the next you know one year, two year? You talked a little about having twenty nineteen mapped out. Have you looked out to the five and ten year mark and where you're going to continue to position yourself and the lines of business that you want to really streamline and focus on growth? I think last year was a big year for us, for the business and for us as business owners. I think we grew a ton and we learned a lot. Uh, and I we grew. I mean, we grew in the sense like from our revenue, but we also like grew like learning things and grew like as people like what, yes. what we're doing and what what we want to do and yeah. what we need to do Revenue, to like be successful dollars scale and size of projects quantity of projects headcount on our team all sorts of things so we learned a lot of things in 2018 and we feel really good about 20 you know it's early 2019 right now but we feel like we have the right people on our team and um, really good relationships with important partners and we are um, sort of planting the seeds for some projects so we're developing a furniture line right now and we are launching the first few pieces from that furniture line in february and so it's a great opportunity for us to show like our own design perspective because we're a custom shop we build lots of things for people that are perfect for their house and we don't have to love everything that we build because of the nature of our business, but it's it's a great opportunity for us to showcase what we like and what our aesthetic is. So I think that that's gonna be uh, very transformative for us this year and we're excited to like launch that and see that live. It's sort of a new arm to the business, I guess you could say, so. But I think for us, you know, we've been in business for five-ish years and so much has happened in those five short years that when you when we started that Instagram account and you if you would have told us a year later how much revenue we would have done we would have never believed you and that five years 
later we would be here. So it's sort of hard to think about what five years from now looks like. I think we're getting to a point where we're about as, not as big as we're going to get, but we have a like growth strategy for how big we actually want to get. Yeah. And so and have a little bit more control over it. Refining what we're doing and continuing to create those like really important relationships. And we always say we like to work on creative and cool projects with creative people. So I think just continuing to do that. And, you know, we're still educating people about why like having a piece of furniture that is handmade and made of quality goods is important and why it's important to invest in that and just educating people on like buying furniture for life versus buying a piece of furniture that you'll have for five years and then have to replace it um, and why the quality of what we do is different than you can get in a lot of places so just continuing to educate people about that and furniture I mean the furniture line is the big the big thing for us right now and, yeah. and what we are hopefully and confident will execute uh, prove. Yeah. propel us like to the next the next level but it'll be interesting to like hear this podcast five years from now and be like wow if only we had known or could you have imagined or yeah because when we were cutting coasters and cutting boards five years ago would you ever have Im imagined that we would have built all the furniture for a boutique hotel like that just i remember that. there's no way i would have laughed at somebody <laughs> i remember like, Do you that know what our business is right I remember that dining room table that our first dining room table that I built covered with like plywood and coasters laid out on it. Yeah. Finishing them in the dining room. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Come a long way. Come a long, long way. Well, good luck with the furniture line launch. I don't think you guys are going to need it. It sounds like you're pretty passionate and on top of what you're doing. Uh, I think that's a good place to kind of pivot towards one of our last questions of the show, though, and it's based around the theme here on Conquer in Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. <laughs> and without telling you too much about why we chose that, what do you guys think of when you hear the phrase, how does it apply to your life and your careers? Live uncomfortably? Well, I think starting a business and being an <clears throat> entrepreneur and a small business owner, you're just forever uncomfortable. And day, every, every day is some new obstacle or um, challenge or having to execute something you have, don't know how to execute, but you got to do it. Mm -hmm. And so building a business is just a constant progression of doing uncomfortable things or putting yourself out there, like putting ourselves out there with this furniture line is exciting, but it's terrifying, right? Like what are people going to say? Will anyone buy it? And will it be a success? And will we be able to continue? You know, we have a lot of plans to layer it and add to the collection. So yeah, every, every day is like a little unexpected and a new challenge. And just when you think you've got a grasp on what you're doing, everything changes or shakes up or something big drops in your lap that you have to tackle and figure out. Yeah, I think for me, like Lindsay said, you know, being a, being a business owner, you're, you're constantly, you're juggling 25 balls you always got a million different things going on and trying to manage them all and you always take on more than you should and, and like we talked about earlier I have a hard time delegating things and and uh, I, I make myself <clears throat> I guess somewhat you, you, uncomfortable in the sense of like just overwhelming myself sometimes but yeah but you know, sorry it just seemed to handle it okay <laughs> He's always saying, don't let anyone tell you I can't juggle. Right. 
Just got to get it done, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Lindsay, Alex, really appreciate those. are both great answers. And, and thanks for taking the time to join us on the show here today. Yep. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. us. Perfect. And Conquerors, thanks for tuning in. That was Lindsay and Alex Remley over at Edgeworth Creative. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Learned a lot. If you want to check out any of their work or you got a piece of furniture you want made up, check out their links down in the show notes. Otherwise, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here. And that's going to start with FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent, through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our next sponsor is Share. For the rides that you take the most, ride with Share. Share is a new transportation company now driving Columbus. Schedule your ride and Share picks you up at your door with professional drivers and a growing fleet of connected vehicles. Share is now hiring with entry-level management positions available. You can learn more about careers with Share at drivewithshare.com. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook, and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.